And so we began this series titled Greater Than 9-11 Weekend with a call for you to identify your greater than. Because you do have a greater than. We live life governed by our greater than. It is our functional God. You invest your money where you do because you believe the potential for return is greater than other options where you could put your money. And you choose the college you will attend or the neighborhood you will live in or the career path you will go down because you believe the potential for those choices are greater than the potential for other choices you could make. You live your life by the greater than principle. And we have contended that God is the ultimate greater than. He's greater than our fears and our doubts and our past and our present and our future and our impossibilities and our wounds and our wrongs and our sufferings. And the greater than life that we're looking for depends on acknowledging the Lord as the ultimate greater than. But that demands the ultimate admission and confession that God is greater than me. And that is not a confession lightly made because, you see, there is a lie. It's the most popular and populous lie in all of human history. It's permeated and infected every culture. And the lie is simply this. It's all about me. Some would say this particular culture we live in is more permeated with the spirit of entitlement than any culture in history. It's all about me. I read about a guy in Reader's Digest who said he worked his way through college delivering pizzas. And he remembers going to one particular house And he rings the doorbell holding the pizza. And here comes a seven-year-old boy sent by his parents to pick up the pizza. In one hand, he has a check for the exact amount of the pizza. In the other hand, he has two $1 bills. He gives the man the check. He grabs the pizza. He takes the $2 bills and puts them in his own pocket. Now, not wanting to sound too accusatory, the college student said, Do you suppose that might be a tip? And the boy beamed and said, sure is. Not bad for walking just from the living room to the front door and back, is it? (laughs) Because like us, he just assumed it's all about me. So the uh, author, Ashley Brilliant, says tongue-in-cheek, all I ask of life is a constant and exaggerated sense of my own importance. You see, the most populated community on earth is a place called Meville. It's where most people live. It has its own worldview, its own religion. It's what I call feline theology. And I know I'm about to offend a few of you, but just hear me out. If you take a dog and bring him home, you feed him, you care for him, you give him a place to live, that dog will follow you because he will think you must be God. 
You take a cat, you bring it home, you feed it, you care for it, you give it a place to live. Will that cat follow you? No, because that cat will think, I must be God. And this is why there will be no cats in heaven. Do not send me emails and argue with me about this. You see, the roots of me worship go all the way back to the garden where the serpent tempted our first parents to believe that life did not need to revolve around God, that they could manage just fine being the center of their own universes. And that lie has been genetically passed on to all of their offspring. Every human being is born with this motto. I love me some me. You did not have to teach your two-year-old the word mine. You didn't have to teach your child to throw a fit when they did not get their way. And sadly, fit throwing doesn't stop when the childhood years are over. Because Satan continues to sow the lie. It's all about me. He does it directly. He does it indirectly. The average 65-year-old person in our culture has witnessed or heard 2 million commercials. I'm not here to bag on the advertising industry. I'm here simply to get us to admit you can't have that kind of stream coming in and say you're not impacted. Because the message you've heard 2 million times is you cannot be your best you until you get this for you. And sadly, we must admit that even churches are culpable in the promotion of me addiction. The way that we preach God loves you often makes it sound like you are the object of faith instead of God. And then we advertise our churches as places that are all about you and your needs. And we print glossy brochures that say, look at all the programs we have designed to serve you. And pastors across the country drive themselves crazy trying to keep whiny Christians happy so that they don't go to the franchise down the street. We've even invented the phrase, oh, my family and I, we are church shopping. As if you're supposed to look for the place where you can get the best deal. And I wonder, if the job of the church is to grow followers of Jesus, how we can expect people to pick up a cross when we keep doing church in a way that's putting people on a throne? And it begins by taking seriously 
the words of Jesus. Because Jesus came to deliver us from Meville. And in Luke chapter 9, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now, please notice that Jesus did not say what we often think he said. He did not say, you must deny yourself things. Well, I'm a Christian now. I guess I need to stop cussing and stop playing golf on Sunday morning. That's not what he said. He did not say, you must deny yourself stuff. He said, you must deny your self. He's talking about a fundamentally radically new orientation. He says, do you want to save your life? In other words, do you want the life you were designed for? Do you want that greater than life? Well, the way you find it, he says, is to radically reorient your life around something besides your self. In other words, do you want the greater than life? Well, you must get over you. Because it's not about you. It never has been. It never will be. Your best possible life depends on your alignment with the most unalterable reality. That it's all about God. There's no reality greater than the greater thanness of God. This is reality. And God makes it his priority to announce this reality. The psalmist says in chapter 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. The angels sing around the throne in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the Bible says... The heavens are full of the glory of God. The earth is full of the glory of God. He has filled the heavens and the earth with the evidence of his greater thanness. Not for his sake, but for our sake. It is for our good to grasp and line life up with reality. It's not about you. It never has been. It never will be. Think about it. What is going to make heaven, heaven? God is going to be on the throne and there's going to be no competitors. God is going to be at the center and every eye and every thought and every passion and every obsession is going to be on him. There's going to be a complete lack of thought of self and it is going to be the life we always wanted. And so, what would happen if we would live that way now? Well, I'll tell you one thing. We would be freed from so much of our frustration. 
Because people who live in Meville are always getting upset. Have you noticed? Because if it's all about me and I'm not happy and I'm not getting the life I want and it's all about me, that can only mean that you or something, some person, some event, some circumstance is frustrating me. My desires, my passion, my preferences, my plans. And so, this may seem a bit crass, but I'm about to lay on you a heavy yet wonderful piece of pastoral wisdom. Are you ready? Get over it. When you get in your car tomorrow and you fight the traffic on the freeway to go to work, nobody is going to get on that freeway and think, how can I make your driving experience the most pleasurable? That's not how people drive in Meville. When you go to the mall and you're shopping for Christmas and you pull into that crowded parking lot and you fight those long lines, nobody at that mall came that day thinking, it's all about you. How can I make it pleasant for you? Think about it. Over 90% of our relational problems are simply evidence of how hard it is to die to self. It's like the couple I heard that had a big fight and they decided to give each other the silent treatment. And he was too selfish to initiate an apology and she was too self-absorbed to extend forgiveness. The thing is that he had to... uh, get up early the next morning to catch a flight for a business trip, but he did not want to break the silence and make the first move. So he just put a note on her side of the bed, wake me up at five in the morning. He woke up at nine in the morning. He was furious. He was going to go give her the riot act when he saw a sheet of paper by his bed. It's five o'clock. Wake up. Why do we continue to live this way? Why do we continue to let crowded malls and lousy traffic and grumpy co-workers rob us of the life God wants us to have? You see, citizens of Meville act as if their circumstances trump the clear command of God to give thanks always. Here we are entering a season where we should be the models of thanksgiving. But you see, people who think they belong on thrones also think they can dismiss commands whenever they want including the command to always be thankful. But here's the truth. You and I were born into someone else's kingdom. Paul says in Colossians 1.16, all things were created by him and for him. 
It's not about you. Never has been. Never will be. And so stop expecting the universe to operate contrary to its design. What I'm saying is that you will become a kinder person. A more patient person. A happier person. A better person. When you get over you. You will be freed from so much frustration. And you will be free then to make much of God. And so a few years ago, I read about a young woman, a senior in high school in California that scored a perfect score of 1600 on her SAT exam. And then she went on to score a perfect score of 8000 in the University of California acceptance exam. This has never been done before. She went on to what I'm sure was an outstanding academic career at Harvard University. But when she was being interviewed by a local newspaper, uh, she was asked, what's the meaning of life? And she said, I have no clue. Reminding us that there is a difference between intelligence and wisdom. So listen to wisdom. Because the Lord God will tell you why you were created. Isaiah 43, 7, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. And so I'm not going to stop preaching that God loves you or that God saves you. But when I say that, I want you to hear this, that God loves you and God saves you not to make much of you. But to liberate you so that you can make much of him. Because this is why you were created. Now, the lie will disagree. The lie says you can have one or the other. You can spend your life glorifying God or you can spend your life pursuing your own happiness. But you can't have both. But the reality is you are going to be most contented when you are free to pursue that for which you were first Created. Our fathers in the faith had it right in the Westminster Catechism. What is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is what the psalmist means in Psalm 34 when he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name forever. What does it mean to magnify God? You can't make God bigger. Well, you magnify in one or two ways. You can put something real tiny under a microscope and it looks bigger even though it's not. You don't do that to God. That's heresy. But you can take a telescope and look at the heavens. And although they are unimaginably vast and awesome, the telescope can reveal what they really are. And that's why you were created. To reveal God for all that he really is to the world. And when that's your life's purpose, you're not always frustrated. When the purpose of your life is to reveal God, to enjoy God, 
to glorify God than traffic and malls and grumpy co-workers don't frustrate you because you can still do that for which you are made. Paul said, even death cannot keep me from glorifying God. So I will rejoice always. I think that's one reason those of us who like sports are so frustrated with the current state, especially of professional sports. Some players always holding out for more money. Some leagues always on strike because they seem to forget it's not about them. It's about the game. It's about the fans. It's about the competition. Some of you that are older sports fans will recognize this old baseball card. It belongs to Yogi Berra. Now, Yogi Berra is one of the greatest baseball players in history. In the Hall of Fame, many-time All-Star, won several World Series rings. And so his contract is up, and it's time for him to get a new contract. And all the reporters are outside the manager's office. And Yogi Berra goes in to see the general manager. He comes out a few minutes later. They ask him, how'd it go, Yogi? He breaks into a smile. He says, I'm going to get to play baseball again next year for the Yankees. And would you believe it? They're going to pay me besides. Because he understood the game was bigger than him. And so did Jesus. And so the prayer he prayed just before he died is the prayer that I hope you and I can pray before we die. In John 17, he said, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That's the greater than life. It's the prayer you want to be able to pray before you die. Lord, I lived my life about you. Instead of me. But you cannot die that way. If you've never lived that way. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do it all for the glory of God. Because like I said earlier. All of life is governed by your greater than. And so every day, we answer a question. Whether we realize we're even answering it or not, every day you answer this question. Is it going to be about you or me? And that's not an easy question to answer because you see by definition if I say someone besides me is greater than I've decided I'm lesser than and no struggle is greater than the decision to be lesser than To say something is greater is to say something is lesser. And that's what the serpent told the first couple to stop saying. Stop saying you're lesser than. 
And they did. And they passed the lie on to all of us. It's just natural to repeat the lie. It's just natural. It's encoded in the flesh to think it's supposed to be about me. And so, in order to send a different word, God had to supernaturally empower a new voice. His name was John, and the Bible says he was from birth filled with the Holy Spirit. Supernaturally empowered to bring a new word. And people began to come and they began to listen. But then another preacher showed up. And the folks started leaving John's church and going to his church. And John's disciples bowed up and said, speak up. They're leaving you and going to him. You're greater than him. And John spoke out and he said, it's the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. You see, John's joy was to make much of Jesus. See, he understood two things can't both be greater than. The only way he can become greater is if I'm good with, if in fact I choose To become lesser. But the decision of John to be lesser than wasn't greater than another decision. Because you need to know something about that other preacher. He was a man. But even that was a decision. The Bible says in Philippians 2, in your lives you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. He gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. Jesus became lesser than. In order to reveal that there's nothing greater than the love of God. He became like me to save me from me. There is no religion in the world. That preaches a message greater than this. That God would become lesser than for you. And there's no other gospel that can deliver you from Meville. 
So I want you to do something for me right now. Would you all please stand? Because I want you to speak a word of truth, a word of reality. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say this. I'm not nearly as important as you probably think I am. I'd like you to do that now. And I'd like you to say one more thing now. I'd like you to turn to somebody and I'd like you to say, but though I may not be much, I can make much of God. Say that to somebody right now. Because here's the deal. What you've just done is you've verbally gotten your life in line with reality. Because here's reality. Here's who you and I really are. You remember when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the donkey and they're throwing down the palm branches and they're shouting Hosanna and they're shouting hallelujah and they're shouting you're the king, you're the Lord, you're the greatest. Do you think the donkey thought they were talking to him? You and I are simply the instruments by which the glory of Jesus can be shared and carried to the world. Because you and I were made for the glory of God. And there's no joy greater than living for the right greater than. And so we're about to sing a song. And while we sing this song, it could be the Holy Spirit's been pressing into you right now and doing some work. It might even be that some of you need to come this very day and be baptized into Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Jesus called on baptism as a first step in discipleship? I think he was doing that because it was almost as if he was saying, if you're going to follow me, the first thing we've got to do with that old you is bury it. Because it's not about you anymore. Never really was. Never will be. We're going to sing that song. You can come to the front right now. Let us know of your decision as we praise the Lord together.